It's wonderful uh, tonight to see all of you here. For those that are joining us on live stream, we appreciate you uh, being in service with us tonight. God bless you so very, very much. If you'll pay attention quickly for a few announcements. The first one I'm very excited about. Over the course of the month of July and August, we will be holding... Uh, numerous She's for Christ fundraisers after the services on Wednesday and Sunday night. Now, it won't be every service, but on some of the select services on Wednesday night and Sunday morning after service, there will be uh, She's for Christ fundraisers where they will serve some type of food or refreshment for a small fee. I like food. I probably am not the only one here, but I do like food. And uh, so please remember that. Please listen closely and intently for announcements on what services uh, that we will be, uh, the, the youth department will be serving some type of um, food or, or meal after church, and you'll want to participate in that. With all of that being said, the first time they're going to do that, the initial run of this fundraiser will be next Wednesday night. Immediately following the service next Wednesday night in the A Center, they will be serving ice cream floats for a measly $3. Just $3. Only $3. Whatever it takes to encourage you to walk next door next Wednesday night after service and purchase one of these Ice cream floats, I understand, I heard tonight that they're going to have several different types of, of things to go with that, so you'll want to uh, remember that for next Wednesday night the 13th. Come prepared with $3 each. This is not $3 all you can eat, not $3 can I get one for me and three other people. This is $3 each, bring some cold hard cash, and anything that you have Left over, just donate it. So if you want to pay for one with a $100 bill, just tell them keep the change. Not a single amen. <laughs> Our second announcement is one I want you to please play, pay close, close attention to. And that is Sunday morning, July the 17th, we will... Uh, I will be going through the third session on Discover Grace. This is Discover Grace 301. This is the giftings part of Discover Grace. If you have not gone through that and wish to go through it with uh, Sunday morning, uh, July the 17th, please see Sister Christy. It will not work if you show up Sunday morning, July 17th, and say, can I be a part of giftings? There's something you have to fill out a week before you participate in that class or that class won't make sense to you. There's no sense in you being there. So if you intend to participate in Discover Grace 301 on July the 17th, please see Sister Christy tonight after church and uh, she will make sure that you get all the material that you need. And then, uh, lastly tonight, uh, with our very, very busy church calendar, 
with everything that's going on. I know sometimes it gets hectic and confusing. Just visit our website. It is kept updated, and all of these things are on there, and you'll be able to get all the information that you need. Uh, Contacting me or pastor or most of the other staff members, there's no way I can keep up with all this stuff. I've had people text me, do you know if there's something going on at the church tonight? I have no idea. There's people doing things I didn't even... If the event is over, and then I find out about it. So, if you'll take care of that, look at the church website, it will help you out. Tonight, we uh, have come to, uh, with a Bible study. And I have a little bit of a disclaimer that I would like to make before I start tonight. The reason why I wanted to do this Bible study tonight is, is kind of simple. There's not a, a huge, great revelation in it, but it's something that if we can get in our minds, if we can get in our hearts, if we can get into our spirits, it can certainly help us out. Pastor has started a series to be made whole. And uh, I'm not trying to, uh, to teach that series. I'm not trying to help him out with that. He's, he's very capable of doing it. But I want to teach this tonight to help encourage, to try to encourage somebody. This process that he's teaching on for some may be difficult. There may be some things uh, that will come up during this series from the past. There may be some hurts. There may be some situations that will come front and center during the series that he's teaching. And sometimes when that happens, people start getting afraid. They start getting, uh, they start putting their hands up, putting their walls up and say, whoa, 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 I don't know if this is something that I want to do. It's, it's scary. Sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it's hard to go through those things. Sometimes we feel like we're not strong enough to confront the things that need to to be confronted to be made whole. And so tonight I want to teach a a very simple Bible study, but one that I hope will encourage uh, to lift you up. And during those times, if, if it's applicable to you, that you will remember tonight what we're going to teach. My text tonight is found in Haggai chapter 1 verse 13. The Bible says, Then spake Haggai the, or Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And tonight, I want to title this Bible study, Four Words That Changed Everything. Four Words That Changed Everything. There is power in words. They have started wars, they have ended wars. Billions upon billions of dollars have been made or lost because of words. Words are necessary for relationship. In fact, speaking of relationships, according to the University of Pennsylvania, men speak between two and 4,000 words a day. While ladies speak between six and eight thousand words a day. 
The University of Pennsylvania even noted that there were a few times in this study that certain ladies spoke as many as 20,000 words in a day. If you average this out, it's about 5,000 words per person per day. It's about the average that is spoken. According to the U.S. Population Calculator Live, that calculates the population, at about 6 o'clock this afternoon, there were 324,162,115 people alive in the United States. If you multiply that times 5,000, the average number of words spoken, it comes up to 1,620,810,575,000 words a day are spoken in the United States. And most of the words spoken in a given day really don't have that much impact. In all actuality, most of the words that are spoken in the course of a day are not really powerful words. They're really not life-changing, eternity-changing, mind-changing, direction-changing words. But there are four words that the Bible gives us that God spoke to the nation of Israel that had great impact. It had great uh, power in the lives of people. And there are some problems that people face, and I want to tell you about them quickly, and I want you to listen as I go through these six or seven people and a little brief bit of their story. We'll talk more about them in detail in a few minutes. But I want you to listen to them as we go through and see if you can relate to any of these people. There is a middle-aged man, he's having a tough time. His father and his mother are both dead now, and he misses them greatly. He's got problems with his teenage children. Economic problems and severe shortages and all the necessities of life hit the region where he lives. To make matters worse, it seems as if every time he accomplishes anything, someone else comes along and grabs what he's worked hard for all his life. It's enough to make anyone want to give up. But four words changed everything. There's a young man who runs away from home. He knows that one of his own family members is out to kill him. He finds himself all alone and afraid in a place that he's never been before. His future looks grim, but four words changed everything. A sincere and honest employee works hard. He's honest and productive, yet has to put up with constant harassment from one of the bosses. After refusing these unwanted advances day after day, this honest, hardworking employee is accused of misconduct by the very person who's been guilty of harassing him. The employee is thrown into jail to serve out an unwarranted sentence. The outlook in his life is bleak, but four words changed everything. There's an 80-year-old man. He's prompted to confront the world's most powerful leader and demand freedom for a nation. 
He doesn't even want to do it. He feels weak and afraid and completely inadequate. But four words changed everything. Another man has just lost his best friend and mentor and is called to take his place as a leader. The man is filled with grief. He knows that his dead friend was the sort of man that cannot be replaced. How can he possibly handle the responsibility? But four words changed everything. There's another young man. He feels like a rabbit running from a fox. Enemy troops occupy his country. They've been seizing everyone's food supplies, and this young man sneaks around trying to find and store food for his family. He is swamped with feelings of worry, weakness, and worthlessness. But four words changed everything. An entire nation is just bouncing back from the ravages of war and exile that, brought, that it brought upon itself. But in the midst of reconstruction, the people's priorities became mixed up. Their situation keeps going downhill. They are warned that a change was necessary or they would slip right back into disaster. They are filled with feelings of guilt and discouragement. They wonder if they truly have a future. They hope it's not too late to turn things around. And then four words changed everything. Four simple words. Each word containing only one syllable. But these four words change everything when the one who speaks these words is God. It's all about who speaks. There's a great illustration on the power of who is talking. And the first time I ever heard it, I just thought it was comical. And fortunately, I was able to find it because it fits so wonderfully here tonight. The story goes that the U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings, this is a magazine of of the U.S. Naval Institute, Fred Koch related the following story. He was assigned to a battleship. And the two battleships, one that he was assigned to and another one, were uh, training. And they were on sea maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. He said, I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge to keep an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the wing reported, Light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. The look replied, steady, captain, which means we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then yelled at the signal man, signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you to change course by 20 degrees. The signal came back, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I am a captain, change your course 20 degrees. The response came back, I am a seaman second class, you had better change your course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain is furious. He told his signalman, he said, I want you to send this out. I am a battleship, you change your course 20 degrees. And the response came back, I am a lighthouse. You change your course 20 degrees. It matters who's talking. 
It matters who is sending the message. It's not so much the words that are said. The lighthouse was was occupied by a man of lesser rank. He was probably not as experienced as the old weathered sea captain, but he had one thing about uh, his message. He had a little different twist on who he was and how far he was moving. And if anybody was going to change, it was going to be the captain. So it matters who is speaking. And in the scripture reading that we read tonight, God told Haggai, I want you to tell the people, I am with you. Those four words, the impact that they have, the power that they have, what they can accomplish and what they can change in our life, it changes everything about the situation. Not because it's four words that are spoken, but it's because of who they are spoken by. Now, I understand tonight that I'm talking to a group of people that already believe that God's with us. And I already believe, if I was to ask each one individually, yes, I believe that God is with me. But I want this to go beyond just saying, yes, I believe that. I want us to understand it. I want us to know it, to get a hold of it, to grasp it in our spirits and our souls. Far too many times when, we, we, when times are good, we say, I believe that God is with me. But as soon as something happens, we fall apart. And we don't know what to do. And we get scared and we get frightened. We have to understand and please understand and please grasp this tonight, folks. God is saying, I am with you. When God speaks these four words, it changes everything. The harshest of situations have to succumb to the promises and the power of God. Those four words changed everything for a middle-aged struggler named Isaac. They changed the life of a frightened runaway named Jacob. They vindicated a wrongfully imprisoned employee named Joseph. Those four words changed everything for Moses, a very timid 80-year-old. They gave strength to Joshua, the man who had to fill the shoes of Moses. And for Gideon, running around like a scared rabbit, those four words made him a mighty man of valor. These four simple, one-syllable words, I am with you, make a deciding difference in any situation. They made a deciding difference, and they will make a deciding difference in any situation. If we can understand And if we can grasp the concept, I am with you. I was talking to somebody the other day. We were talking about God and serving God. And I told them, I said, you know, it's, I've been serving God for a lot of years, not as many as some of you, but probably more than some of you. And one of the things that I have come recently to understand and, and to grasp in my mind just in the, in the last few weeks, and I, and I said this to this person, I said, I have recently learned that I can trust the mercy of God. 
all of these years, I have believed in the mercy of God and I have taught the mercy of God and I've preached the mercy of God and I, only God knows how many people I have told the mercy of God to and told them God's got plenty, God's got plenty. But I have recently learned that I can trust it. I have seen God do enough in people's life and that's, it's not that he had to prove it, but for whatever reason it has just dawned on me that God, you can trust his mercy. You can trust his mercy. You cannot get far enough away that God's mercy can't bring you back. God has that ability and we can trust that. And I want us to understand tonight on these these four words that we can get to the point where we trust these words, that we don't face life alone. These four words, I am with you. They're one syllable, but they can change everything. Whatever the situation might be, when God himself declares, I'm with you, it changes everything. Any situation you face, all you need is the presence of God. I know that's a very easy statement to make. And it is a very difficult statement to live up to. I have been there myself. When you wonder, God, where in the world are you right now? He is with you, I can assure you of that. We don't always see him. My goodness, we don't always see him. But he is always there. So let's talk about Isaac for just a few moments tonight. Isaac is a man in his middle years. He's lost his father, Abraham, and his mother, Sarah. His heart is empty. The Bible alludes to this fact that he misses them very much. He has a wife, Rebecca, and sons, Esau and Jacob. But there is this tension at home, constant tension. Isaac tends to favor Esau, while Rebecca favors Jacob. A famine strikes the country, consumes the land, causing a food shortage. They're starving to death. And and for all of our guys here tonight, especially if you have a family, if you'll put yourself in Isaac's shoes, we can kind of make it a little more modern day. All of a sudden, here's Isaac. He has a wife and, uh, you know, he loves her to death and she's a good woman. and, And boy, he's just really proud of her and really happy with her. But he's got two sons, they're teenagers, and they fight all the time. Anybody got kids that ever fought? That's all mine do now. I've honestly thought about just buying one of those black and white striped shirts, hang a whistle around my neck. It seems like that's all I do as referee. But there's a lot of tension at home between the boys, and no matter amount, no uh, no amount of of talking to them and sitting them down, and son, y'all quit fighting. And that's what it seems like I say every day, all day. Son, quit fighting. You leave your brother alone. Quit hitting. Quit biting, pinching, kicking, slapping, touching. Don't breathe on them. Don't look at them. Don't listen to them. Don't smell them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What do you do when you get to your wits' end and you don't know what else to say, and they still fight? And so this is where Isaac is at. Now, all of a sudden, there's no food to be had. 
He's worked hard. He's amassed a certain amount of stuff, but now they can't afford to buy food. And Isaac is forced to leave home and move to another place, to the land of the Philistines. And this is not really a good situation. It's not the best situation for Isaac or his family. And Isaac's nervous and he's, he's kind of looking around. God, where are you? Why am I going through this? I've, I've served you all my life. Look, my daddy was Abraham. God, maybe you forgot who my, my dad was. That was Abraham. God, remember, I'm the guy that laid on the altar and my daddy took the knife like this and it was an angel that stopped him from killing. That's me. You remember we had that time together? You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty important here. God, I'm, you know, I'm in the Bible. My story is going to be told for thousands of years to come. God, I'm important. Why in the world, after all I have done for you and all I've given to you and all I've tried to do and to sacrifice for you, am I going through this circumstance? My family is coming apart. My boys are fighting left and right. And then to add insult to injury, we have nothing to eat. We have teenage boys. They're hungry. They can eat constantly. We get done with supper at our house and I've got two boys staring at the pantry wanting a snack. You don't need a snack, boy. And so here's Isaac in this time, and and he wants to feed and provide for his family and do a great job. And he wants to really be uh, the husband and the father that he needs to be. But things are happening, and he's not able to control them. It's out of his power. So Isaac goes to God, and God tells Isaac a few things, and he promises that I'm going to be with you, Isaac, and I'm going to bless you. And soon, Isaac becomes very rich. People around him begin to resent the success that he has. Not, three, not once, but three times Isaac digs a well. Wells were very important in this part of the world during this time because that's how they watered their flock. And if you had a well to your name, then you were, you were wealthy. You could afford to, to pay people to dig it and you could afford to get that deep. You were a wealthy person. And so here, Isaac digs three wells and three times he's forced to leave because the envy of others around him, they run him off of that land and he has to start over. But each time that this happens, in all of this trial and all of this turmoil, Genesis 26 and 24 records, God tells Isaac, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will bless you. What a powerful statement to Isaac. In all of the family turmoil that he's going through, God says, don't worry about it, Isaac. I'm with you. I'm with you. And hearing these words, when Isaac heard that, he knew that he was not alone. And Isaac had the strength to go on. He knew that God was with him because it was God that spoke these words. There's power in those four words. They change everything. And then there's Jacob. Isaac's son found that the same four words provided encouragement to him. I think it's interesting that Isaac hears them and then Jacob hears them from God. I wonder how much of that Isaac passed down. What a heritage to leave your kids. Kids, 
If there's anything you can count on, it's God. What, a, what an heritage for a father to tell his children. Son, let me tell you, I got into a bad bind when you and your brother were fighting so bad. You didn't remember it. Mom and I didn't tell you all of your trouble. But let me just tell you this one thing. It doesn't matter what you get into, Jacob. God is always with you. And what a wonderful comfort and a wonderful power that was for him. Jacob found the same thing that his father found in those, first, first, in those four words. We all know Jacob as the supplanter. His name means supplanter or deceiver. He's the one that connived the birthright away from his brother and then outright, outright stole his brother's blessing. He had to run away from home to a country that he had not been to before to escape the wrath of his brother who was trying to kill him. What a wonderful, and I say that sarcastically, what a wonderful thing to say, my brother's trying to kill me. I've got to leave home. I've got to steal away in the middle of the night because he hates me that to that point. And so while Jacob, in his travels towards Laban's, slept on a pillow of stone in a place called Certain. He had a dream. And he hears the voice of God making a promise to him. And God says, I am with you. I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done that what I've promised you in Genesis twenty-eight fifteen Again, Jacob finding those same four words, I am with you throughout the rest of his life, through the ups and the downs, through the good times and the bad, through all of his sins, mistakes, sorrows, everything. Jacob knows one thing is sure. And it's the same thing that we can know tonight. God is with us. So tonight, if you are in that kind of a place, alone and afraid, running from something, remember God is saying to you, I am with you. Jacob's son, Joseph, this is Isaac's grandson. This is the third generation passed down. Understanding that the words and hearing the words of God, I am with you. Jacob's brothers sell him into slavery because they're jealous. But Genesis 29, or Genesis 39 and 2, I'm sorry, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Joseph promoted to the top position in Potiphar's house. He was doing quite well with himself until Miss Potiphar developed a crush on him that she should not have had. And when he resisted her, she convinced her husband to have him put into prison unjustly for something he never did. And through all of that, God was with Joseph and gave him success in everything that he did according to Genesis chapter, 20, uh, Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 through 23. Sometimes life treats us unjustly. Sometimes there are things that happen to us that are not right. They're not, uh, they're not uh, our fault. It's not something that we did. Somebody did something to us. And it's an unjust situation. And it's very easy to fall into a victim mentality to say, I've been hurt and I've had this and, 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 and life's been unfair to me. 
and cross arms and I just quit. We cannot allow ourselves to come in to, to take on a victim's mentality because the Bible says that Joseph heard the same four words. I am with you and ultimately because he refused to be a victim, God brought Joseph out of that hurt and made him the second in charge of all of Egypt. I actually, I think that Joseph had a lot more probably power and control than even Pharaoh. Joseph just didn't use it. So Joseph had a, a, a promise. He had an understanding of promise, uh, the understanding of God's promise in his life. And he was willing to tell everyone about it. And he told his brothers, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. When God is with you, even prison can't keep you from success. When God is with you, prisons cannot keep you from success. We face all types of prisons in our lives. There are habits, there are addictions, there are attitudes, there are bitternesses, there's hate, there's unforgiveness, there's all types of things that keep people bound. There's hurt, there's problems, there's bad relationships, you name it. There are so many things that keep people bound. But even in those situations, the Bible is telling us, is emphatic with these four words, I am with you, God is telling you, you can still have success. And Joseph found that to be true. Knowing and understanding the power that is in the promise of these four words, it would change everything about the way you view life. We're not trapped when we understand the power. Moses was an 80-year-old sheep herder when God told him to go confront Pharaoh. I'm not going to ask who's 80 in here this, this evening. There's some getting close, Brother Don. Pick on Brother Don Knight tonight. 80 years old. That's the time when you start looking to kick back. That's the time when you start looking to relax. Man, that's retirement age. That's past retirement age. At 80 years old, I certainly hope I'm not having to work. The way Social Security looks, it probably will. But That's past retirement age, man. Take, kick back, take it easy. And this is when God goes to Moses and gives him a set of instructions. It says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. This is going to the most powerful man in the world. He has the biggest military and all he has to do is snap his fingers and you're gone. He'll have you killed, no problem, just snap his fingers. No issue with him. And God says, you go and confront him. And I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You don't tell Pharaoh much. Mrs. Pharaoh didn't tell Pharaoh much. You ask Pharaoh. You plead to Pharaoh. You beg Pharaoh. You present your case to Pharaoh, but you don't tell Pharaoh anything. I can only imagine how Pharaoh felt. I know how I feel Sometimes when people that have no authority tell me to do something. There's a part of me that bows up. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? 
I got told something, I was told something the other day, I'll get my English better one day, but I was told something the other day by a man that I respect that has a lot of authority. He said, Merrill, you are one of the most mellow people I have ever met. I said, really? He said, you're so mellow. He said, it's almost a fault that you're so mellow. You just let things roll off of you. It's no big deal. And I said, you know, in 43, almost 44 years, I've never heard that before in my life. So I said, well, from now on, I won't be mellow. I'll come in and be rough and tough and all that. And then Christy told me I couldn't. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. I don't know where I was even going with that, but anyway. Moses is 80 years old. You're not too old to be used by God. Well, I thought I'd get one amen on that, but you're not too old to be used by God. So where's Moses? He decides to come up with his litany of physical ailments. And starts telling God all the reasons why he can't. I worked for a boss one time. He would tell you, if you walked in there and you say, well, I can't get such and such. He just holds it and he said, don't tell me the reasons why you can't. Tell me the reasons why you can. I don't want to hear why I can't. I want to hear why I can. And so here goes Moses saying, God, well, I can't do this. I have a speech impediment. I don't talk good, God. You don't, they don't know who I am, God. That's, I, man, going to Pharaoh, he, he ain't going to know who I am. How, are the, how do I know the people of Israel are going to believe me? So here's the third excuse. One, Pharaoh don't know me. Two, the people don't know me. And three, I have this speech impediment. And so I can't do this, God. You, you're going to have to find something else. How many, how many things would God have us do And we say we can't. And God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I will be with you, Moses. Do it anyway. So Moses, when you walk into Egypt, I understand Pharaoh don't know who you are. Moses, when you walk into Egypt, I know the children of Israel don't know who you are. Moses... When you walk into Egypt and you go to speak, I know that you have a speech impediment. Do it anyway. Do what I'm asking you to do anyway, Moses, and I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Don't worry about it. And so, and we all know the story that Moses did. I do find it interesting that in this argument with God, Moses said uh, he had the speech impediment, so God gets aggravated with Moses and finally says, well, I'll send your brother Aaron. He can talk. So Aaron goes with Moses. And every time they talk to Pharaoh, the Bible says, and Moses said. He spoke anyway. We can do anything that God asks us to do. We can accomplish any goal that God asks us to accomplish. It doesn't matter what you think your physical limitations it doesn't matter what you think your, uh, your, your limitations are in any other way. If God asks you to do it, understand this one thing. He will be with you 
and make that happen. He'll make it possible. We can feel like that we're on the backside of a desert mountain and that we're out of touch with people and we're out of touch with society and we don't know what's popular. And society changes so fast and styles and fashion and, and all that changes so fast. I've, I've never been one that was cared a lot about fashion being a fashion statement. I've never been a fashion statement. Still, still, I'm not going to be a fashion statement. I can't keep up with it. I saw somebody the other day wearing bell bottoms. This is a young person. They're supposed to be fashion sensitive. If they're coming back, God help us all. As long as the butterfly collars and the polyester suits don't come back. Anybody, anybody, never mind. I'm not going to ask. Moses was 40 years on the backside of a mountain herding sheep. He felt unqualified to lead all of these people. He felt like it didn't matter if it, that God sent him, that God could find other people that were more qualified but God said, Moses, you don't understand. I'm with you to do this task. God can make it happen. Instead of asking, as Moses did, who am I? Start asking, who is with me? There are hard tasks. There are, and I, I made a disclaimer at the beginning of this study. There are, there are tasks that are ahead of some of us that are going to be difficult. There are some things that we're going to confront that are going to be difficult. There's some, there's some parts of our past, there's some parts of our lives that you may have to confront in this series that pastor is going through to be made whole. And they're going to be very difficult to handle. They're going to be hard to face. But I want you to know that God's with you. And with God you can do anything. Joshua is the next person that that had God speak to him. After the death of Moses, the Israelites were standing on the border of the promised land. And here is Joshua, a young man with an enormous challenge. He had walked all of these years, these 40 years he had walked with Moses. Moses was the one that did everything. Moses is the one that talked to God. Moses is the one that stretched out his rod. Moses is the one that gave the commandment. Moses is the one that told Joshua what to go do and how to lead these people. It was always Moses. And, and anytime something came up, Joshua could go to Moses and say, Moses, what do you think about such and such? And Moses would tell him what to do and, and how to lead. And now Moses is gone. And here's Joshua standing at the border of the promised land with some three to five million people looking to him to cross that river and to take a promised land. And he doesn't have Moses anymore. And the Bible lets us know that Joshua begins to, uh, to worry a little bit and to stress a little bit. How am I going to accomplish this task? How am I going to do this? I don't have Moses. He was my friend. He's the one that always gave me instruction. He's not around anymore. There's big cities and they're well armed and they're well fortified and I have to, I have to be the one to take them. And in this time of questioning, in this time of, of Joshua's life where he wasn't sure about his future, 
He wasn't sure about his destiny. He wasn't sure about his purpose. What will tomorrow hold? Am I qualified? Am I prepared for tomorrow? Is the task that lies ahead of me tomorrow, am I even ready for that task? Will the people follow me? Will they be with me? And then God speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. No one, he says, will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will never leave or forsake you, Joshua 1 and 5. And as soon as God said that, something changed in Joshua. He went from being timid and afraid to standing bold and standing firm and declaring that the the promised land would soon be theirs. He knew who said it. He knew who spoke the words. It was God. And no matter what he faced the rest of his time, God was with him and his victory was always certain. Every time he faced an enemy, he always, always won. Victory was always his. It didn't matter what happened. The only time that Israel lost under the hand of Joshua was an AI. So victory can be certain in our lives. Victory can be sure in our lives no matter what we face because God has spoken with assurance to us that He is with us. Gideon faced an enormous army of over 200,000 with 300 men and a promise. I heard a story that was kind of was kind of cute several years ago. The story was of a man sitting at a funeral. And he was listening to the preacher up there preaching the funeral of, of this dear departed person. And right in the middle of that funeral, a man got up, walked down the center aisle of that church, took his hand, and hit the top of the, of the pulpit three times and went and sat back down. And everybody wondered what in the world that was. After the funeral was over, another man walked up to the preacher and he said, Preacher, he said, I need to know more about God. He said, I just found out tonight God's real. He said, you see, while you were up there talking about dear departed so-and-so and how they love God and they serve God and all that stuff, he said, you know, I, I prayed. I said, God, if you're real, if you really exist, why don't you have somebody get up and go hit the platform or hit the pulpit three times and I'll believe in you. He said, and that guy got up and did it. Somebody else was standing there listening to that and turned to the pastor and said, well, why didn't God ask me to do that? The pastor said, would you have got up and hit the pulpit three times? He said, no. He said, there you go. Sometimes it's easy to do what God asks us to do. Sometimes it's not so easy. Here is Gideon. He has 200,000 plus enemy soldiers on the other side of the valley. And God says, you have 20,000, you have too many. That's when I start questioning God. And all of us do. All of us do. It may not be fighting a battle with 20,000 people, but when the odds are against us and the chips are down 
if I can use that terminology. And when we're facing something and we look at it and say, there's no way I can defeat it, we question God. I question God. Maybe all of you great saints don't. And God begins to whittle it down, his, his army, until eventually there's only 300 people left. And you look at God and say, God, what in the world are you doing? God, you said that, that I would be blessed and I'm broke. You said that you promised me health and I'm sick. God, you promised, you promised happiness and joy. And I'm depressed. You promise all these things in your word, God, and I don't understand why I have so little and why I lack so much. And when I look at what I'm facing, I don't have enough to conquer it. You're in the perfect place. You're right where God put you. You're right where he wants you because he's fixing to show you something. He's about to perform something in your life. With 300 men versus 20,000. Gideon, scared to death. Read the story of Gideon. This was one frightful little fellow. He, he fleeced God not once. He wasn't happy with that. He had to do it again and then question God again. Are you with me? I don't know if Gideon ever felt comfortable. When he walked into that valley with that pitcher and, and the lamp and the trumpet, I don't know if he was comfortable then. I still think he was doubting whether he was in the will of God. But God performed a great miracle for him. And in, and in Judges chapter 6, the Bible says God told Gideon, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I will be with you, Gideon. When life looks like it's the chips are down, this is an impossible situation. There is no hope. There's no way it can work out for my benefit. There's no way I can win. We talk about getting in between a rock and a hard place, and we get into a no-win situation. There's no such thing with, uh, with, with the children of God because God says, I'm with you. And somehow, even when the odds are overwhelming, God can pull it off. He can make sure that you come out victorious every time. These four words that God spoke, I am with you. It gives strength to the weary, courage to the fearful, hope to the, at those dead ends, comfort for the grieving and strength to the weak. And they also promise pardon for the guilty. The children of Israel, and I've, I'm closing. The children of Israel, after all that they had gone through and they went into to captivity and they come out and they're trying to rebuild the land and they're not doing a very good job of it, God sends Haggai the prophet to tell them, to talk to them. And he tells them that they're selfish and they have their priorities all mixed up. They're not doing what God instructed them to, to do. They're, they're trying to satisfy their own selves. And he told them the, the best thing that you can do and what God wants you to do is work on the house of God and start worshiping Him again. And if they did not, they would continue to fail at everything they attempted to do. And there's the key. 
There's something about being in God's presence. There's something about worshiping, even when the house is in ruins, even when life is in shambles, even when things seem not to prosper, even when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, much as the children of Israel and these other folks that we talked about tonight as they, as they found to be true, that if you'll worship God and stay faithful to God and stay true to God and listen to Him, He'll tell you, I'm still with you. The children of Israel ask Haggai, is it too late? Is there any way in our situation that God can forgive us and give us another chance? And that's when Haggai, in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 13, God speaks through Haggai and says, I'm with you. The next, the opportunity that you need, the next chance that you need, the forgiveness that you need, the pardon that you need, the start over that you need, and any golf players in here, that mulligan that you need is found in four words. I'm with you. No matter where life takes us, no matter how it steers, no matter what path it goes down, no matter what situation or circumstance happens, no matter how grievous it is, no matter how wonderful it is, none of that matters in God's economy because he knows that he's with us every step and no matter what comes against us, he's going, it's going to be okay. He said, I'm with you, declares the Lord. And that's all those people needed to know. It meant to them that God had forgiven them and he would help them in rebuilding their country and rebuilding the nation. The final chapter of Matthew, Jesus departs from this earth and he tells his disciples and those around recorded in Matthew 28, verse 20, as he's leaving the earth, he wants to emphasize these words again to his people. Behold, I'm with thee always, even until the end of the world. Emphasizing over and over and over, God has done it through his word. I'm with you, folks. I'm with you. I'm with you. You can't go through anything that's too hard for God. So tonight... I understand it was a simple Bible study. But I want us to understand the power of it. Truly try to understand the power of it. Get it in your heart. There are people here tonight you are going through or you will be going through very difficult times. And when those times come, we don't have to freak out, if I can use that word. We don't have to go crazy. You don't have to worry and stress and fall apart. It's part of our humanity, but understand God is with you every step of the way. He is with you every step of the way. God bless you tonight. If you'll stand, thank you for your attention tonight. Thank you for being here. We have a great turnout tonight. We have a host of people in Tioga tonight, and we're so thankful they were able to go. If you're able to go uh, tomorrow night or Friday night, uh, please do so. It'll be a great service. God bless you for your attendance here at Grace Church, though, tonight. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful congregation of people. We thank you for your mighty love, your grace, your mercy. But God, we're so incredibly thankful that throughout the Word of God, you have emphasized to us so many times 
that you stay with us, that you never leave us. Through every situation, every trial, every storm, every dark time of our life, God, you're there with us. You walk through those situations with us. In every victory, in every great time, happy time, every mountaintop, you're there also. You never leave us. You never forsake. You're a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. God, you're always abiding. And everywhere that we're at, you're just a short distance away. One prayer, one word, just a mention of your name. You're away and you're there beside us. We appreciate you for that so very much. We love you tonight. We praise and we worship you tonight. We're here tonight to honor you, to lift you up. God, you are great. I pray that you would uh, be with these great and wonderful people as they travel home tonight. Bring them back safely at our appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your attendance. Shake somebody's hand. Greet them. In the name of Jesus, smile big. Tell them you're happy to see them.